Heavenly Father, um, many of us have rather full hearts and full heads. Um, Our prayer is is very simply this. We would love to see uh, our world through your eyes. And we would love to respond to your world through Uh, with your heart and we would love to uh, act according to your will so I want to pray that you will take even my uh, words um, and use them for good that we would hear you and that we would respond to you in Jesus name Amen Uh, Psalm uh, 1, which you'll find on page 543, Psalm 1. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked, or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither and whatever they do prospers. Not so the wicked. They are like chaff that the wind blows away and therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous for the Lord watches over the way of the righteous but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Jubilation, delight, liberation, celebration. Or despair, fear, anger, betrayal. It's hard to imagine any point in the history of this country where a moment has produced such contrasting, extreme and divisive emotions as have been uh, demonstrated and felt in the wake of the referendum vote on Thursday and the announcement on Friday morning as to the result. It's not just the emotions, of course. The turmoil in the stock markets and in the value of the pound... Prime Minister resigning and the leadership not just of one of our political parties but of the country up for grabs. We're hearing this morning of the likelihood of half the shadow cabinet resigning. We're hearing of the possibility of another referendum vote in Scotland. And pretty much everything about our economic, political and national life fills up for grabs. Rarely have we ever felt so vulnerable, so wobbly, so uncertain about the future. Even for those who voted to leave, there is still that blank space when we look into next week, let alone next month, let alone next year. Or for that matter, as we look into the future that our children and our children's children will grow up into. So what's church got to do with it? What's faith got to do with it? What have we to do this morning? Irrespective of one's views, irrespective of how we feel this morning, I think that there are some marker posts in the Bible 
that will enable to find us to find our place on this map, even when we don't know what the geography will look like in the future. There is a shape to a truly Christian response, one that is to do with looking inwards at ourselves, one that is to do with looking outwards at the world that God has given us, one that is to do with hearing our marching orders, as I was writing online on Friday, one that is to do with looking up to our God who hasn't let go. I have to say, um, just at the outset, that it would, of course, be entirely disingenuous of me to pretend that I'm somehow neutral in all of this, uh, somehow above it all, and just going to give you some uh, mild, um, sort of bland thoughts. Uh, I was, just speaking personally, um, devastated uh, on Friday morning and remain convinced that it was the wrong decision for us as a country and for us playing our place in the world. And if I'm honest, I feel great fear for our future and for the place that my children are going to grow into and for the work that our world needs from our church and from our land. And yet, and yet, we are, above all else, citizens of another country, another land. We belong more to Jesus Christ than to simply one country or one part of the world. We have a different perspective on what the future holds than simply what might have changed in the political landscape. And when we come back to God's word, when we read the very first psalm, I think what we hear there are some perspectives on what's happened or where we might be that actually, irrespective of whether you this morning have been feel full of celebration and jubilation or full of despair and fear, actually can unite us in a common purpose and a common objective as to what the world should look like. Four things. A warning, an invitation, a calling, and a reminder. A warning, an invitation, a calling, and a reminder. The warning comes from verse 1 of someone. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take or sit in the company of mockers. The warning is for each of us, irrespective of which side of this debate we're on, to look carefully inwards, to recognise that strong feelings provoke strong reactions, and that the life of every Christian is to be shaped by the life of Jesus, by the work of his Spirit in us, not simply by how we feel about something that's happened. The wonderful thing about this psalm and where it starts is it shows us how easy it is to fall in step with the wrong people, the wrong emotions, the wrong reactions. It's to do with walking. And you know, actually, if you watch a group of people who are walking together over any sort of distance, how easy it is that they end up falling into step with one another. You know that actually um, uh, little babies next to parents often have their heartbeats that become regulated 
and shaped by the heartbeats of their parents. When we're alongside one another closely, it's very easy to fall into a mindset and a reaction that is simply shaped by others, not by Jesus. And let's face it, the echo chamber that is Facebook and Twitter and social media makes it a thousand times worse. How easy it is to retweet or to like or to share something that in normal civilized company we would never dare to express. To say things about people that we would never say to their face, that we would never aspire to in anybody else. To allow ourselves to be so horrified at the other that we somehow put them in a different category from being fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, from being fellow human beings loved and precious to God. Perhaps the greatest calling to Christians in terms of our character is to be able to see others as God sees them, not through the lens of fear, dismissiveness, anger, not to look down on people, but to look across to people, to try and understand, to be determined to listen, to be sure to empathise, not to be so quick to dismiss. When you look at the way that Jesus dealt with people, people who utterly misunderstood who he was, people who would go on to arrest, accuse, crucify him, people whose purposes were so utterly against the purposes of God, and when you look at the sheer love with which he treated them, the beauty of his attitude. We simply have no place for some of the attitudes that we have been tempted to show. There is a difference, isn't there, between robust debate, the willingness to express despair and disappointment, the willingness to have proper conversation on the one hand, and on the other hand, a dismissing of half the country, whichever half that is in the place that we're standing, as somehow beneath us, as somehow lower than us. Christians are called to be different. How is our interaction on social media going to look different from the rest of the world this week? How is our conversation with neighbours, with friends, with our own children going to look and sound different this week because we're followers of Jesus? That's the challenge. The challenge, the warning, is to look inward, to be people of integrity and godliness, to be people who love, to be people who don't resent and hold a grudge, to be people who look across, not down. Fundamentally, the warning is, are we keeping in step with the wicked? That shorthand in the Bible for those who are out of step with God. Or will we be in step with Jesus? A warning. But secondly, there's an invitation here. And it's an invitation to prayer. Verse 2. We don't want to sit in the company of mockers, says the psalmist, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord and who meditate on his law day and night. It's a description of prayer and of worship. It's a description of those whose hearts are full of Jesus, whose focus is on him. I've said before often from the front that it's far easier for most of us to pray for the little things of life, for the immediate, for the things we can visualise, than it is for the big stuff we can't get a handle on. 
So I can pray for my son or daughter taking exams. I can pray for that job interview I might be going for. I can pray for that issue with my bank balance or that friend of mine who's ill. I can do that. But the thought of praying today for David Cameron, praying for the shadow cabinet, praying for the European Parliament, the thought of praying for huge decisions made in unimaginably complex situations by people I've never met. We struggle with that. It feels, on the one hand, a little bit of a waste of time, I suppose, if we're honest. If we're really honest. It doesn't feel very active. It doesn't feel like it changes anything. And yet, right at the heart of who we are as Christians is the life of prayer. Because without prayer, we are simply living a solo life. We are no different from anybody else without prayer. We're simply people trying to live a particular life in a particular way, coming to church on a Sunday. But without prayer, we aren't any different. Because it's prayer that expresses relationship. Relationship with our Heavenly Father. And that's who makes us who we are. Whether you voted for or against, remain or leave, actually you are most defined by whether you are someone who prays. That's who defines you. Because that, what, that defines your relationship with the one who made you. And if you pray, you can pray firstly, confident that you are doing something that is most expressive of human life. It's what we were made for, relationship with God. So praying is never a waste of time. Praying is an expression of humanity at its best. Secondly, prayer makes a difference to how we feel and live and act. Because if I pray to God about the big things that scare me, or for that matter, that excite me, what I'm saying is that I trust my Heavenly Father with these huge things. Actually starts to change how I feel about the world when I bring it to God. But the Bible says, and this is the hardest for us to get our heads around, that prayer changes the world. Prayer changes the world. God chooses in his infinite wisdom, in his almighty power, God chooses to work through your prayers. They make a difference. Not in a sort of penny-in-the-slot machine mechanistic way, you pray for this, that happens. But in the heart of a relationship, God chooses to partner with you and to partner with me in the transformation of our world. So if you feel passionately about what's happening, for good or for ill, whether you feel that the decision made on Thursday was absolutely the right thing and you want to pray that actually the outcome will be superb, or whether you are praying in, uh, in absolute despair at the disaster awaiting, either way, pray. And pray with confidence that our God loves our world that there is not a single human being in this country or anywhere in the world that is somehow lesser than another. That if you feel passionately about this, it's only a tiny, tiny, tiny drop in the ocean of God's passionate love for all that he has made. You don't have to persuade God to take a notice. You don't have to persuade God that this is important. You don't have to somehow yell loudly so God will take notice. This is at the heart of God's heart because it's about people. So pray. Pray for our leaders. Who on earth would want to be a leader of this country at the moment? Whoever you are. Who on earth would want to? Pray for those who are scared. Irrespective of what you think of the decision, I've spent time over the last couple of days 
even just in my little circle of friends and people that I know, with people who are absolutely terrified of the future, fearful of this place and their place in this country, fearful of what the future holds, friends who live overseas who are fearful they're going to have to come back, fearful economically of their jobs. Pray for those who are afraid. Pray for those who are leaders in banking and in business. Pray for those who are the poorest in our society. That even if all we have is a year or two of instability, are absolutely, without any doubt and without any shadow of discussion, going to be at the sharp end of that instability. Pray. So a warning about our character, an invitation to prayer, thirdly, a calling to fruitfulness. Verse 3. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers. Perhaps our biggest danger with all of this is that as human beings, there is something about us that is wired for survival, whereas actually we were made for fruitfulness. We were wired for survival. That's how we've ended up that sense of fight or flight, we were made, intended, for fruitfulness. If you're somebody feeling afraid or angry or despairing today, we know that the temptation is to blame others, to wind up the drawbridge, to survive, to pull back, to run, to fight. What we're actually meant to ask is not how am I going to survive all of this? But what's God calling me to do? How is my life going to be fruitful? The thing I wrote on Friday in response to this was that if you look at the voting statistics, just the voting statistics, and this is just broad brushstrokes, the vote on Thursday, whether it went the right way or the wrong way, is utterly irrelevant has revealed the deepest, most damaging, divisive divisions that our country has potentially ever known. And those divisions aren't about politics. They are about those who feel they have and those who feel they have not. Those who feel they have a voice and those who feel they have no voice. Those who feel that they are on the raw, rough, bleeding edge of globalisation and those who feel it's the best thing they've ever experienced. You'll have read already that you can draw fantastically accurate statistical graphs to do with age versus voting intention, to do with economic um, uh, sort of place in the world and voting intention, to do with education and voting intention, to do with part of the country and voting intention. It is the most divisive thing we have ever seen. So what should be our response? Well, not despair, not pulling up the drawbridge, certainly not simply anger against those who are on the other side from us. We're meant to hear it as our marching orders. This is, this is our command from our Lord Jesus Christ. He says to us, well, look, here you go. That's the problem. What are you going to do about it? How are you going to be fruitful in it? It starts today. It starts in our interaction on Facebook and on Twitter and on social media. It continues in our conversations with our children. How do we talk to our children about those who voted differently from us? 
how do we talk to our children about actually about what they should be aspiring to? Are you inspiring your kids to go into politics? To go into business? Into banking? Into teaching? Whatever. All those professions that at the moment are pretty much at the bottom of the heap in terms of either pay or reputation. We want people doing all sorts of jobs. We want to value them all. But right now, at this exact moment, those things are pretty much at the bottom of the pile. Are we inspiring our children to be people of change in those places? What difference are we going to make? Are some of us going to be called to up sticks, to take a job in a part of the world we perhaps don't want to live in, to make a difference, to transform, to work across barriers? Are we going to pray for churches that are in the midst of communities that are torn apart by this? Sort of easy for us around here, although I think it's easy to make big mistakes as well. Something like 80% of Borough of Richmond voted to remain. That has big issues to do with how we are working across the divide of the 20%, the 80%, and within this church too. I've got clergy colleagues who would pretty much feel they're the only person who voted to remain in a church that entirely voted to leave in other parts of the country. But wherever we are, are we looking to be fruitful, not simply safe? Are we believing that God has given us marching orders to change this world, to make connections across the divide, to even up the immense inequalities of access to power, of access to wealth, of access to education, of access to opportunity? calling to fruitfulness. And finally, and perhaps this is the most important, this is where we finish, and this is what will bring us to communion, a reminder of God's sovereignty. That's why these last three verses, although we'd shy away with them because they're to do with sort of judgment and negative stuff, are actually really important to hear. Verse 4, 5, and 6. What they actually say is, if you're feeling cross today with somebody else, leave it to God. If you're feeling that others have made a terrible mistake, leave it to God. If you're feeling that others are incredibly arrogant or overbearing or patronising or divisive, leave it to God. God is sovereign. It's mine to repay, says God. But also, verse 6, the Lord watches over us. That doesn't mean things will all be fine, easy, straightforward. It doesn't mean that everything we pray for will come about exactly as we hope. It does mean that we can trust our Heavenly Father that he never lets go of us. He never lets go of his world. He never lets go of those whom he loves, which is you and your children and your children's children. We should be those who, in the midst of all those deep emotions we might be feeling, most of all are confident in the God whom we know in Jesus, has given everything for us. He's not suddenly going to let go and give up on those whom he has died for and those for whom he has promised new life. So will you with me hear this warning to be different? A warning about character. Will you respond to this invitation to pray? What a difference it will make when God's people pray daily. Will you hear this calling to fruitfulness, not simply survival? And most of all, will you believe this reminder that God is king? No prime minister, no leader, no ballot box, 
No people are above the sovereignty and majesty and loving grace of God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you never let go of us. We thank you that in the the turmoil of this world, we know we're not the first and we won't be the last to feel that the world is changing around us, to feel at sea. We trust you, that you are the same God yesterday, today and forever. And we ask that you will call us into fruitful service of you and into lives of prayer and grace-filled living that the world would know that you are king and you are the God who transforms with love. In Jesus' name, amen.